At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I would like to invite you now to take out your Bibles and turn in them in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. And uh, I want you to turn to chapter number three. You know, times come in all of our lives that we find to be very unsettling to us. And maybe, maybe you are feeling that unsettling feeling even today. Uh, Sometimes these times come to us collectively that are unsettling. For example, having a bewildering COVID-19 pandemic, that's unsettling to all of us. Or maybe the mass shootings that we see from time to time in our culture. Or the racial unrest that we're all feeling deeply right now in our nation. Or the decimated economy that we have, which gives us an uncertain present and an uncertain future. So sometimes unsettling times we experience collectively. Sometimes we experience them individually. Maybe a diagnosis of a debilitating disease that you receive for yourself or for a loved one. It's very unsettling. Maybe just an avalanche of adverse circumstances that might come in our life or a dismaying relational crisis that occurs or the devastating death of a loved one. Just the instability of wondering what is the new normal. All of those things are unsettling to us. The encouraging thing, though, to me is that we're not the first people to have experienced that. And the question really is, where is our hope? And in the Old Testament, Isaiah brings an answer for us in that regard. He said this, he says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. And I love this next phrase. He will be the stability of your times from Isaiah 33 verses 5 and 6. So Isaiah brings an answer for us, but in addition to that, Habakkuk also brings an answer to us. You know, over these last number of weeks, many of us have been introduced for the first time to Zoom calls. And I know my family uh, does a Zoom call. Uh, We are spread over three states and two different countries. And so For a while, on Sundays at 4 p.m., we've been having a family Zoom call together. Now, I know that I have experienced times like this, and perhaps you have too, that you can remember, when you just wish that you could have a Zoom meeting with God. You know, where you have the Zoom meeting and you say, where are you, God? What are you doing? Why are you allowing these things in my life? Do you really care? Have you ever felt that way? I think all of us have from time to time. But here's what's interesting. In one sense, Habakkuk has already had a Zoom call with God. He has already done it. And uh, that's what we really find ourselves looking at in our anchored series from the book of Habakkuk, which is really an insider view of the struggle to have faith in the face of adverse circumstances. An alternate title we could give to this whole series would be Faith Under Fire. That's what he was experiencing, fire in his life, and we experience that too. Now again, Habakkuk is a minor prophet. That only means that it's a shorter prophet. 
And yet Habakkuk's message and truth is a major need for each one of us. One of the things I appreciate about the book of Habakkuk is that there are no cheap or shallow hallelujahs in this book. Habakkuk is on a true emotional journey. And in our series, we have seen that it is really a matter of some questions and answers between Habakkuk and God, like a Zoom would be. And Habakkuk asks questions like, where are you, God? Why, God? How could you allow? And you could fill in the blank. And God's answers are, my plan is bigger than you know, and I will make it right. Wait and watch. What's interesting in the book of Habakkuk is the more exposure Habakkuk has to divine viewpoint, the better Habakkuk's attitude and altitude in the book. In chapter 3, we saw that he begins to compose a worship song. We entitled last week's message, Singing in the Storm, and that was part number one. Today we go to Singing in the Storm, part number two, and we're going to look at Habakkuk's praise of God in verses, actually that's what we looked at last time, verses 3 to 15. Remember, his praise of God. Our great God is always at work. Our great God is always in control. Our great God always provides salvation. Today we come to singing in the storm, part number two. And what we see in part number two is Habakkuk's position of trust in verses 16 to 19. And if you have your Bibles there, I would like to read verses 16 to 19, invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Habakkuk writes and he says, I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound, my lips quivered, decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet, and he makes me walk on my high places." Harlan Betts said this. He said, singing in the storm does not indicate ignorance of the storm. It indicates confidence in God. And we have a very similar kind of experience that happens in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 25, what's happening there is that Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey and Philippi end up being beaten and thrown into prison. Here's the way it's described in Acts 16. It says, the crowd rose up together against them, that is Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them, that's Paul and Silas's robes, and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows... They, the officials, threw Paul and Silas into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And then I want you to notice what it goes on to say. So the jailer threw them into the inner prison, which was the ugly place to be, and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, at this point, Paul and Silas had no idea what the outcome was going to be. And it brings us back again to the thought we saw earlier from Harlan Betts. Singing in the storm does not indicate ignorance of the storm. It indicates confidence in God. Now, here's the basic outline we have for our section we're looking at today in chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, Habakkuk's position of trust. First of all, we see Habakkuk's initial response in verse 16, and then we see Habakkuk's resting and rejoicing in the Lord in verses 17 to 19. So what we want to do is take a look at this first section, Habakkuk's initial response to the whole situation that he has been hearing about. If you look at verse 16, he says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. Literally in Hebrew, it says my belly trembled. Now, he wasn't saying, you know, I'm overweight and my belly was jiggling around. What he's really communicating here is he said, as I'm facing all this instability in my life that's coming, my insides were churning. Verse 16, he says, at the sound, my lips quivered. He says, decay enters my bones. He, he began to feel physically weakened. And he said, I must in my place also I'm trembling. And then he said, I must wait quietly for the day of distress. There was a difficult, hard experience ahead that was going to include pain and heartache. Kind of reminds me of what we saw earlier on in the book in chapter two and verse four, where that principle is given, the righteous will live by faith. Really, part of what he's communicating here is, God, I wanna trust you and I wanna trust your promises. Now, men and women and young people, it's important that we understand that this is not an automatic or natural reaction for any one of us. When we're facing very difficult circumstances, adversity, and instability in our life, our emotions say worry, fear, panic. Our minds say, I don't really think that's fair. I deserve something better than that. Our hearts are prone to grumble and complain. And the world would say to us, as these difficult times come on us, you know what you ought to do? Just forget God. Reject God. Just walk away from him. But what trust means is that we are trusting that God, even through these circumstances, is working out his plan and purposes in the midst of the turmoil that we are experiencing. Now, the details and the reasons and the why, it's hidden in the heart of God. He says, basically, in this section, I want to be trusting you, God. And I just love how honest all this. Can't you feel the honesty there in verse 16? Uh, It's not unspiritual to struggle through the process. That's what he's doing. He's struggling through the process. So we've looked at Habakkuk's initial response there in verse 16. It's very real. It's very human. But then we move to the second part where we see Habakkuk's resting and rejoicing in the Lord. Now, these next verses, men and women in Habakkuk 3, 
are both captivating and encouraging verses. I want to read them again. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation." Now, this description that he gives in verse 17, of course, comes from an agrarian culture. A fig tree not blossoming, there's no fruit on the vines, the yield of the olive fails, the fields provide no food, the flock is cut off from the fold, like the NIV says, there are no sheep in the pen, there's no cattle in the stalls. The picture he is making here is one of poverty and destitution and, and a culture that is in shambles. He's making the picture of utter havoc. How would it look in our world? You know, all these things happening. Maybe in our day we would say, though the health report is dire, though the bank account is empty, though the car is broken down, maybe we would even say, though the toilet paper is gone from all the shelves in the store, Though the church is unable to assemble in person, though the stock market crashes, though there are riots in the streets, though I've lost my job, though there's no place for me to live, though the pain is unrelenting, though my retirement count has dwindled to near nothing, though my car is broken down, though there is a pandemic, though there is no electricity or internet. All that being true, you have the word yet. The word yet. Three words in English and three words in Hebrew. A small word, yet in some ways it's the biggest word in this whole section of Scripture. He says in verse 18, yet... With all that devastation and havoc, he says, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You know, Job said something very similar in Job 13, 15. He said of God, though he slay me, though it might mean physical death even for me, he says, yet, there's our word again, yet I will trust him. Now, Habakkuk's focus was not on the circumstances. It was not on his possessions or his lack of possessions. It was on the promise-keeping God who loves him. That's where his focus was. His trust was that God has a plan. His trust was that God is working that plan. His trust was that God reigns in every situation, even when everything seems to be falling apart, he is still reigning. Now I want to pause and I want to ask you a question. You don't answer it out loud, but you think about it. When life avalanches down on us, when it falls in on us, what do we tend to doubt the most? I want you to just think about that for a second. When life avalanches and falls in on us, what do we tend to doubt the most? Here's what I think. 
when dire and difficult things come to us, I think the first question we really ask is, does God really love me? If he does love me, why does he allow these things to come in my life? And I believe that Habakkuk found confidence and comfort in God's love. Remember, we we noted earlier in our study that he was likely part of the temple worship team. And I want to bring our attention to some of the worship songs of his day. One of them was found in Psalm 59, written by David. And of course, David knew about a lot of difficulty and adversity in his life. So this is one of the songs. The Psalms really mean songs. And so song number 59, this is David, said, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud, notice here it comes, of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praise to you For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me, here it comes again, steadfast love. There is another psalm, it's Psalm 138, uh, verse 8, and it says this, part of the song again, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And here we go again, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. So here's the question. As followers of Jesus, have we ever found ourselves doubting God's love? Well, I have to answer yes, I do. And whenever we doubt God's love as a follower of Jesus, you know what we need to do, in my opinion? We need to always be drawn back to Romans chapter five and verse eight. Anytime we begin to doubt, Does God love me? We should go back here. Notice there in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates. I want to just stop there. That verb that's translated demonstrates, one of the primary meanings of the word is to provide evidence of something. It means to publicly display something. So it says that God demonstrates, he provides evidence of, he publicly displays his own love toward us. In what way? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Men and women, the truth is that after the cross, God has nothing left to prove about whether or not he loves you and me. The cross demonstrates it, it's total evidence. It's a public display of his great love for us. And we see this theme occurring in other parts of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 to 37 to 39, this is what he says. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? He's talking about these times of difficulty and adversity in life. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him, here's the assurance again, who loved us. And he goes on to say, this is an amazing passage of scripture. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to do what? To do what? To separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I believe that there is a great aid that can help us to remind ourselves of the love of God for us. And it's a very interesting thing called Father's Love Letter. And you can actually find it at Father's Love Letter, fathers with a plural, loveletter.com. And it is on there in 122 languages, including Latvian. And there are options on that website where you can watch the love letter, you can listen to the love letter, you can read the love letter, or you can download that love letter. Now, that love letter is, is really too long for me to read all of it, but I do want to read to you part of that love letter, that Father's Love Letter at fathersloveletter.com. And you might want to just close your eyes and listen to part of what it says. It says, this is a letter from the Father to us. My child, I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all the days are written in my book, all of your days. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you far more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope. Because I love you with an everlasting love, my thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. For you are my treasured possession, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. Jesus is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you and to tell you that I'm not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. 
His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you, and nothing will ever separate you from my love. And one of the cool things about that letter is all the scripture references to those statements are included there. What a great, great thing to remind us, a great tool to remind us that God loves us. Now, when we're back in Habakkuk here, we want to think about for, for what was happening to him again. I mean, his life was fully unraveling. He was facing ruin and destitution in his life. The devastating experiences that he was going to be experiencing were really leading to utter havoc in his life. And yet, yet, he says, I will exult in the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now, if we're honest, I think our first reaction is deep down, I can't do what he did. I I can't do that. I mean, if I'm going to face utter havoc in my life and all these devastating circumstances, and it means all kinds of just unraveling of everything in my life, our emotional reaction is, I can't do what he did. To say, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And the truth, men and women, is we can't do it. We can't do it apart from his provision, his power, and his grace. You know, all along in our whole series, we've had, is basically our, our verse of emphasis, our theme verse in the study, Habakkuk 3.19, which is the verse we're coming to today. The Lord God is my strength. Now, we, we could have used Uh, Chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith as our theme verse. But I chose this one to be our theme verse because part of where our faith goes is faith and reliance on his strength in our life. That's why this is maybe the most important verse in the book. The Lord God is my strength. And the utter truth, men and women, is that I am incapable And we are incapable, but he is more than capable. And we see this in in the scriptures again, in these worship songs from the Old Testament. In Psalm 118, verse 14, he sings there, The Lord is my strength and song. And again, we have King David with another song in Psalm 55, 22. And he sings there, cast your burdens upon the Lord, and here comes the key phrase, and he will sustain you. He is the sovereign king of the universe, and he's always there. He is always there. He is always there. He's always there calibrating life's circumstances in our life. He is always there dispensing the grace for whatever place he has me in. You know, it was written in 1719, Isaac Watts wrote these words three centuries ago. But I think these words could have been written by Habakkuk 2,600 years ago. Isaac Watts writes, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter 
from the stormy blast in our eternal home. Go back to verse 19 in chapter 3. I want you to see what he goes on to say. He says, the Lord God is my strength. Oh, what a key verse that is. And then he goes on to say, and he has made my feet like hinds feet. That's the way the New American um, translates this. The Net Bible says he gives me the agility of a deer. And it's possible that he is talking about a deer here, but many people feel like he is talking about an ibex, which is a species of mountain goat that still lives in Israel to this very day. And the thing about an ibex is an ibex was incredibly sure-footed and rocky terrain. And you can see right in this picture that I have to show you a picture of an ibex, you see him right on rocky terrain here. And so when he says in verse 19, he's made my feet like hind's feet or, or like an ibex, and he makes me walk on my high places. That's a key word there, my high places. The Net Bible translates it, he enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. Sometimes that's what we're facing in life, rugged terrain. When we rely on the Lord as our strength, we become sure-footed wherever we find ourselves or whenever we find ourselves in a rocky place in life. Really, in essence, what he was saying is God is enough for you and me. No matter what the situation may be, God is enough. I want to take you to another song from the Old Testament, Psalm 73, verse 26. Asaph here writes this, but here's what Asaph says. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail. That's going to happen to us. My flesh may fail, my heart may fail, but I love this. He goes, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Men and women, all of us are going to come face to face with difficulties. We're going to come face to face with darkness. We're going to come face to face with despair. And what we need to remember, first and foremost in our minds, is that God, God is enough. What a great thought. God is enough. Now, as we, as we pull back for a moment and we, we think about what life response can we have? How can we apply some of these truths that we've looked at even today? I'm going to suggest two things. The first thing is find some time from time to time to remember and revel in his overwhelming love for you. We must do that. Remember, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So remember and revel in his overwhelming love for you. The second key life response is to draw deeply on his presence and power. Remember, God is not a something. He is a someone. And that someone is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And when we draw deeply on his presence and his power, with Habakkuk, we can declare, the Lord God is my strength. 
1960, rather 1952, 1952, Scott Wiseman wrote a song, and I want to just end our whole series with this song. Great lyrics. He writes, tenderly, he watches over you every step, every mile of the way. Like a mother watches o'er her baby, he is near you every hour of the day. When you're weak, when you're strong, when you're right, and when you're wrong, in your joy and your pain, when you lose and when you gain, tenderly he watches over you every step, every mile of the way. Let's pray together. Father, we again thank you for the word of God, the power of the word of God. We thank you for the life of Habakkuk and how honest and how real he was in all that he experienced and all that he shared as he wrote this whole account down for us. And Father, may we remember that when you take us through those dark times, those difficult times, the times in which it feels like there's just havoc everywhere around us, that we remember that the Lord God is my strength and he loves me and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you for these things and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 